one of the first memories I have of seminary when I was all of 22. <laughs> Gosh, those were the days. <laughs> when I was all of 22 was one of my instructors saying that no one can hear the good news until they've heard the bad news. We've been making a journey this Lent through the commandments of God given to his people and linking it to teaching of Jesus uh, in the gospel of Matthew. And we come now to one of those places where you've seen that sign, plan ahead, where the sign keeper didn't plan ahead. And the, and, and the, little, the little part goes down like that. And I'm in one of those moments because I was thinking I had five straight Sundays so I could do two commandments a week. But I really didn't have five Sundays. Um, so I've got four commandments to do today. Uh, because, because next week, <clears throat> and I, I knew this, I just didn't attend to it, Next week is Palm Sunday, and on Palm Sunday, we will begin outside um, in the ever day-by-day -day more beautiful grounds uh, that, that we're, we're, we're getting by the work of several of the saints who are here today. In fact, the LOC we have is the fruit of visiting saints from Michigan uh, today as well. But, but on Palm Sunday, having... Um, remembered the glorious beginning of, the Holy, of Holy Week. When, when Jesus was acclaimed by the crowds, um, we move rapidly into the Passion, and we read the Passion next Sunday, and so we won't, we won't um, focus on the commandments next week. So today I have to try to cover four, and um, they're all important. I, I don't want you to think for a moment that they're not. Um, but in his own lifetime and ministry, our Lord has given an example to which I appeal today. Um, once, once or twice, at least, as it's recorded for us, he summarized all the commandments into two. So I, I trust the Lord will have mercy on me if I put four in one, in one uh, sermon today. But we're going to link it to that very serious gospel where Jesus speaks of those who have the opportunity to repent and do not, who, who see and have an experience of what God can do and how God can change a life and how God's grace can come and yet refuse to repent. And it's not unique in all the Gospels, but it's one of those places where it's most abundantly clear. He calls down judgment on whole cities and whole regions. And it's very difficult for a biblical Christian today to not think he could speak that judgment against our nation. That it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Sodom than for you. Because if I had been in Sodom, they would have repented. I think it's fair to say there's never been a nation on the earth that has had more of the blessing of God than we have had in our history. Not that we're perfect, but God's abundant blessing has been so amazingly showered on our land. 
And where are we today? Jesus will say, and is recorded in John's gospel elsewhere, that if you love me, you keep my commandments. The colic today is one of the most amazing and beautiful in the Book of Common Prayer. That we pray that God would give us grace to love what he commands and desire what he promises. And that's held before us today, but not, <clears throat> but not, <clears throat> pardon me, but not before we face the truth. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. Every single one of these sins is a sin against our neighbor. Every single one of them. And is a sin clean contrary to God's will. I look back for another reason this week to um, a dictionary that I was given actually on the first day of seminary as well. I hadn't realized that until I just said it. Um, The Dictionary of the Christian Church, the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church, which is a standard um, throughout the world for anyone who speaks English to, to look up odds and ends and bits and pieces from all the history of the Christian church. And looking up another thing, I decided to look up the Ten Commandments, and I was deeply touched to see that when the Oxford history of the Christian church was written first and published in 1960, the, the authors of that book, who were many, but the, whoever edited and, and wrote the, the, the article on the Ten Commandments, said these commandments are the inheritance of all the peoples of the world. These are God's gift to all people. And he spoke and wrote as though these things were so true, you could go anywhere in the world and find assent to their rightness, whether people were Christians or not, whether people were Jewish or not. How wrong he was. How wrong he was. I'm going to land on the hardest one for, for me to land on as a, an indicator of the four today. I've said in previous weeks that to some extent all the Ten Commandments, the nine that follow the first commandment, are all the fruit of failing to understand and obey the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods but me. The moment that is compromised, all the sins of the other nine begin to unfold. And Many of them, if not all, I haven't worked all the way through it in my mind, but many of them are so interrelated that knowledge of disobedience in one will lead very clearly to disobedience in others. And and I would say that's true of adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Who needs that explained? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount makes it clear that any one man in this room today who goes, well, I haven't done that, is a liar before God. Because as Jesus teaches, the moment a man has looked at a woman lustfully, a woman that he is not called 
to be with as one man is with one woman in holy matrimony, blessed of God. The moment that happens, that man has committed adultery in his heart. And no man, no man can bear that and not confess that it is true. There's an old use of the word adultery that's not so common anymore, but in my childhood, it was still a way that I heard older men and women speak, and they would talk about adulterated goods, like, 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 a, like a crooked local grocer could put water in the milk. And so you thought you were buying whole milk, but he'd watered it down. It was called adulterated. Something had been put in that did not belong. Or um, I read in high school one of, I think, Upton Sinclair's books about something, the meat packers out in San Francisco and how they would adulterate the meat. There would be ingredients in the meat that were not meat that would make it easier for them to profit. And that use of the word adultery was still quite common when I was a boy. Um, um, maybe some of you remember that. Well, throughout the whole of the scriptures, and, and here's where you women are not accepted, Throughout the whole of the scriptures, from the very earliest, earliest books, God's people, when they depart from God's will, are said to commit adultery against God. Whenever we depart from God's stated and clear revealed will, we move into adultery with other things, other gods, other people. So it applies to all of us. The horror and the tragedy of adultery is that it destroys families. And we've seen this before. I, I, I suggested as a thought that it might be that when the country that we live in began to treat so glibly the commandment to keep the Sabbath, that perhaps that began a slide into the disobedience to all the commandments that is now so normal. It is so normal. Our children are growing up being taught by word and deed that disobeying the commandments of God is normal. Indeed, they're growing up not knowing that there are commandments from God. Adultery is a great destroyer of families. But it captures up the other commandments that we're looking at today because it immediately steals the cares and affections that belong to some and applies them to another. It steals away from the spouse the love and affection due to the spouse and gives it to another. It steals away from the children, if there are children, of that family the affection and the love and the care and the provision and the teaching and the blessing of their natural parent and gives it to another. It is a form of violating this do not steal commandment. And it's a form of do not bear false witness because the seedbed of adultery is lying. It's lying to yourself and it's lying to others. And it always, always 
always is deeply interwoven with deceit and lying, especially in the beginning. And, and so we see here that not only do not commit adultery, but do not steal and do not lie. False witness is a lie are wrapped up in that. And how can we not see that do not covet is wrapped up in it as well? The moment a man covets another man's wife or a woman covets another woman's husband, there again is yet another of the Ten Commandments in violation. If you think preaching this is easy, think again. Now, Jesus, in the gospel, Matthew chapter 11, uh, cites a common um, um, song, a, a, a ditty, a, a childhood playground song that, that I have always found a little mysterious. Um, I, I think I've gained a little more light this week from it than maybe any other time in my life because Jesus has shifted gears in the, in the outworking of the gospel that we've heard today from conversation about John the Baptist, where some in Israel have said John the Baptist is from heaven, and some in Israel have said he's a wacko, he's, he's a crazy man, he's, he's got a demon. No one in their right mind would behave the way he behaves. And, and now Jesus is among them, and some are saying about him, could this be the son of David? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one sent from God? And others are saying, he couldn't be from God. Look at the way he lives. He eats and drinks with sinners and tax collectors. And so Jesus, in this, in this um, calling to mind what all his hearers would have known, this childhood, this childhood refrain, um, says, you know, when, when you should have danced, you didn't dance. And when you should have mourned, you didn't mourn. And of course, he is illustrating for us who know the scriptures that there is a time to dance. There is a time to rejoice. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice. And there is a time to mourn and and grieve. And we are to mourn and grieve with those who mourn and grieve. And Jesus is using that as a challenge to his hearers, and through him, the Holy Spirit uses it as a challenge to us, that that they are in a moment, those who are hearing him when he first spoke, they are in a moment of choice. They are in a moment to decide, what is this man speaking of? And are they going to see it as a moment to repent or a moment to sustain their disobedience? And so it's a reminder to me of the sermon I preached, I think the very first or second time I ever was called to preach at Christ the King Grace, probably a long time ago or to many years ago. But of a psalm that we had read on one particular Sunday. It's the 11th Psalm. When the psalmist cries out, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? When all around us, when all around us, the things that ought to be true are destroyed or are being attacked, 
when all around us the things that ought to care, characterize the culture and the life and the town and the village, yea, even the church that we live in, when those things are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And, and Jesus puts before our, our, our eyes today, the righteous can choose the right. <laughs> because only the righteous will see the face of God. But the choice is before us. There's a wonderful little line in one of the passages of the, of the Hebrew scriptures where the tribes of Israel are being summoned to battle. And, um, and there's great confusion in Israel. But it is said of one tribe, the tribe of Issachar, um, that the men of Issachar understood the times. And the implication of that story in, in Chronicles is that they knew what to do. They knew not only they were being summoned to battle, but they knew what the battle was all about. And they knew how to go into that battle. And as, as odd as it is, I, I beseech you um, to ask God to make us like the men of Issachar in this 2022 and 2023 and 2024, that we as a community and a church understand the times and the battle that we are called to. We are called as Christian men and women to make the best of the time in which we live. And we are living in a time that is calling us to battle. Now Jesus says, sorry for the pollen again this morning, it's strong in me today. Um, Jesus says and uses, I, I suspect in his day, he couldn't have upset people more than by citing non-Jewish cities and saying that, 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 that what they were doing was wrong and then turning that to say that there were Gentile cities that were going to be more tolerably treated on the day of judgment than the people hearing Jesus speak. That even the people of Sodom will be treated more faithfully and fairly than you because they would have repented if they heard what I teach. They would have repented if they had seen what you have seen. It's one of the hardest of the lessons to internalize that a day of judgment is coming with certainty to every man and woman in this room. A day of judgment is coming upon us. And whether we are alive or dead at the day of the great judgment, every one of us will give an account. Every one of us. And you know, all my life as as an Episcopalian, an Anglican raised in the Episcopal Church, all my life, every Sunday of my life, nearly, I have said the creed or some version of the creed. And I have said, he will come again to judge both the quick and the dead. Now that reveals how old I am. To, to judge both the living and the dead. Part of the faith of the Christian gospel is that God will judge us all. And he will judge us in the light of our words and our deeds. And he tells us today 
that there are some from the most wicked and horrid times that have ever been known on the face of the earth who would have repented if they had lived when you live. And that speaks to us. They would have repented. But will we? That's what Lent puts before us every year. They would have repented. Will we? Those cities would have repented. Will ours? Those nations would have repented. Will ours? There are three things to remember as I try to close. Um, The certainty of the judgment, the promise of God to those who repent, and the choice that that puts before every man and woman. The certainty is we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that just is a fact. The promise of Jesus is that if we repent, we will stand before that judgment in the grace of God in Christ, the perfect one, the sinless one. And our sins and our errors and our mistakes and our disobedience will be covered by his righteousness. And if we don't, we'll have to explain it on our own. And it will be more tolerable for Sodom than it will be for us. And so the choice lies before us. It's do I or don't I hear the commandments of God and repent? Do I or don't I hear the promise of the gospel and repent or don't I? Throughout history, from the time of our Lord to this day, others have. Others have heard and repented. In the days in which we live, some are still hearing and repenting. And as long as this life lasts, some in the future will hear and repent, but many will not. Another hard saying of our Lord Jesus is that those who will not repent will be many, and those who do will be few. So a choice is before you and before me, whether it's in the little, the little tiny things of a life long after we first repented and gave ourselves to the Lord and asked for the Spirit to come upon us and lead us into all righteousness and take us from one degree of glory into another. And still we are aware of our errors, we are aware of our sins, we are aware of our failings, or whether it's a massive error that we are aware of. The choice before us is to hear Jesus say, well, come to me, (laughs) bring it to me. Bring it to me in repentance, and I will receive you. I will bless you. I will forgive you. I will take you into my heart. I will take you into my righteousness. And with what is left to you of this life, I will change you so that you come to love what I command and you desire with all your heart what I promise. And that's the beautiful collect of the day. Everything shifts next week, Palm Sunday and Holy Week, and then the joy, the great joy of Easter. But carry the little collect today in your heart. Cut it out. Stick it in your Bible. 
stick it on your shaving mirror, that I would come to love what God commands and desire what he promises. And the road to that journey is, oh God, forgive me. Oh God, forgive me. And in that moment, everything becomes new. Everything starts fresh. Nothing, nothing that we have done will not be forgiven in that moment. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.